It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 206, The Fourth Man in the Fire. Matthew 28, 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. In this episode, we see that God is always with us, even in the Old Testament age, that Jesus himself is truly with us always in the fires of life. So now that we're in Babylon, we start to see a vocabulary change. The people of Judah start to get a new reference historically. There's more references now to the people of Judah as being called the Jews in Babylon. So why the reference to Jews now? All it means is subject of Judah. So as the subjugated people, this becomes their geopolitical cultural moniker as a people, descendant of a falling or maybe even a lost nation of Judah at some point. You'll hear this reference uh, in cultural tag more and more as the show progresses, uh, depending on, you know, who is speaking um, and what reference we're using. After Nebuchadnezzar conquers Egypt and his northern flank is protected by the Medes, the Arabian desert is to the south, and Egypt is defeated, and Judah is conquered to the west, he's triumphant and extremely powerful, exceedingly rich. Nebuchadnezzar lets it all go to his head, though. The half-crazy, temperamental, irrationally violent, ego-worshipping Nebuchadnezzar must think he is a god. And at this point, he does the following, allowing the gold image dream to go to his head. Daniel 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly exclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. And as soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, or all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship will be immediately thrown in the blazing furnace. Seriously, Nebuchadnezzar commands the death of anyone in high office of his empire that doesn't worship him. 
and, and he expects everyone to worship this statue. Now, most people point to the fact that this is a gold statue and it represents him, and he's probably seated in a throne right below it. And if those don't worship him, he's going to kill him. All right, some perspective. This is the tantamount to the Antichrist at the end of the age. This is tantamount to world dom domination through blood ties, worship, and witchcraft. And when these people bow down to him in the spirit, they're submitting to his control in the spirit and indoctrination of demons. This is horrific, what's going on. And in the book of Revelation, there's a mark of the beast that's introduced. Those who take it lose their salvation. The mark is a public denial of the worship of God. Revelation 13, 11. Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth, and it had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf, and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose fatal wound had been healed. And it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view to the people. And because of the signs, it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast. It deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive the mark on the right hands or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man. That number is 666. There's so much here. The taking of the mark is the abandonment of God and his ways. It's the indoctrination to evil worship. It's taking on the mark of witchcraft, which allows darkness to control you. It's horrible. It's evil incarnate. Worship this 90-foot statue of Nebuchadnezzar or die. In the shadow of one tower to rule them all, now we have one statue to rule them all. Now picture with me more to understand the, this gravity of the situation. And, and I don't know the exact location of Dura, but it's probably outside of Babylon. And the giant gleaming golden statue looks like the one Nebuchadnezzar had in his dream. And to the distance is another monument that was once built for men to make a name for themselves. One tower to rule them all. One language, one tower and they met their judgment. In the same general location, Nebuchadnezzar, who is potentially possessed by the devil himself for this moment, demands everyone to worship him and to take his mark in their heart. God would never allow this, especially in the same location. Here is God's response, and it's through three young men. Daniel 3, 7. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold and that whoever does not fall down in worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you are to bow down and worship the image that I have set up. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what god will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. How about the faith of these guys? My God is able to deliver me. And he will, but if he does not, we want you to know that we will never worship you and your gods. What a bold statement and declaration. To think God is going to not come through in a mighty way would be completely erroneous. God always answers incredible faith. Nebuchadnezzar orders the death of Daniel's friends for not worshiping the statue. Now this is similar to the other tests they went through, but last time it was just about diet. This time it's about worship and the consequence is death itself. Reminds me of some of those old martyr stories, which we'll end this episode with a few of them. Also, you may ask yourself, where is Daniel? And I believe Daniel was seated next to Nebuchadnezzar or nearby and not required to bow down due to his elevated position, but his friends were. Daniel 3:19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them in the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown in the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men firmly tied fell into the blazing furnace. So Daniel watches in utter agony the death of his friends. But true faith is compared to metallurgy quite often. In order to make pure gold, the metallurgist must heat and even melt down the metal until the impurities rise to the surface, and then the metallurgist scoops off the top of the impure elements and allows it to cool, leaving only pure gold from the refiner's fire. Daniel's friends knew this in concept and understood the power of God, welcomed it, stood for it, received it spiritually, but most likely were not expecting that God would physically do what he did. Daniel 3:24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men who were tied up and thrown into the fire? They replied, Certainly, Your Majesty. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies. 
nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, for there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces. Their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar not only saw the power of God that somehow transformed elemental physical properties in a moment, but Nebuchadnezzar saw the one behind it. He declared the object an angel, yet he said it was also a man, a supernatural man, the fourth man. In Matthew's Great Commission, it ends with, Surely I will always be with you. We don't know it at times because we don't always see him, but he's always there. It's a limitation of being human. We don't have spiritual sight at all times unless God graces us with it. God graced the world, the power of the world, at this very moment with the physical manifestation of the fourth man. The pre-incarnate Jesus stood in the fire with the three Hebrew men. Daniel must have been floored, and Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego would never be the same. The devil himself and Nebuchadnezzar was bound at that moment and allowed no manifestation for Nebuchadnezzar, who didn't seem to be phased when his own men were burned alive. Yet he looked in the furnace and saw the three Hebrew men remaining in the fire, and he declared, I see a fourth man. The spectacle before the world's most powerful man caused him to be awed. He must have tried to get closer to the fire himself, only to get burned. But the all-consuming fire of God cuts away its sin and filth believes purity through the intensity of the fire of God's shining light. There's an altar in heaven with coals and a burning fire stoked to maximum blaze. Jesus himself was attracted to the great faith of these men. Imagine with me, angels assigned to Daniel and his friends. Their job was probably extremely precarious in a city full of demons, standing guard watching over them, but when the three men made this step of faith and stood their ground, Jesus himself left his place and arrived on the scene to override the plans of the enemy. I love the stories of failed martyrdom, when the enemy of everything good fails in their attempt to take the life of a believer in the physical, or when the impact of murder is not only nullified but reversed. Tradition tells us that the Apostle John was poisoned unsuccessfully, giving witness to Mark 16:18 and when they drink poison it will not hurt them at all. We don't know for sure how many times the apostle Paul actually died and came back. We do know he visited heaven in 2 Corinthians 12. Whether this occurred when he potentially died in Acts 14, we don't know for sure. And pulling another from church history, there's an eyewitness martyrdom of of the apostle or the uh, pastor Polycarp in the early church whose death was a spectacular wonder when numerous hundreds, if not thousands, of wit people witnessed it. Here's a write-up on his death from the Christianity Today website. Soldiers then grabbed him to nail him to a stake, but Polycarp stopped them. Leave me as I am, for he who grants me to endure the fire will enable me also to remain on the pyre unmoved without the security you desire from nails. He prayed aloud, the fire was lit, and his flesh was consumed. 
The chronicler of his martyrdom said it was not as burning flesh, but as baked bread, or as gold and silver refined in a furnace. The account concluded by saying that Polycarp's death was remembered by everyone. He is even spoken of by the, the heathen in every place. And I've read another account about his death where he didn't feel pain, and some form of a rainbow covered him at the time of his death, despite no rain. There's so many of these accounts in church history. And if you look into some of the Catholic histories of the saints, it gets almost out of hand. Are they true? I don't know. But some of them are just fantastic stories. Martyrdom has such a huge place in history. And the martyrs have a special reward in heaven, according to Revelation 24, for they participate in the extra millennium reign of Christ on earth. Jesus himself was the first martyr. Stephen followed, whose face shone like an angel. Wonders happen when one lays down their life. Jesus said, forgive them at the moment of his death. At the moment of his death, an earthquake happened. The skies turned black and the veil was torn. Stephen forgave a man named Saul, who was later tormented by the moment. The point is, when one lays down their life, no greater love is shown. The powers that be in the earth itself and its power and principalities are challenged, confronted, and defeated. Fox's Book of Martyrs recounts many stories of early church history and their wondrous deeds. There's even a magazine called The Voice of the Martyrs. All through history, one can see where martyrdom occurs, the future churches spring up. It's the multiplier of church creation. It's the astounding greater love that no one can deny. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. All right, now back to the beginning of the podcast. The fire is the power of God and his work of purity. And in the midst of the fire of God, there he is always there. There are so many other scriptures about persecution, yet each of them comes with a promise. The promise is his presence and himself. We end this podcast with a song, You're Not Alone by Rick Pino. I think the words of this song just speak for themselves.
Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com. Share the Facebook page, or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.